when I start with a nice vort on Pasha's Bahar. The Agadekala says a vort on the Pusik this week. Right, you're buying and selling, you shouldn't uh, fool each other, you shouldn't cheat anyone. He says something interesting. He says, Kurov Lipshitoi. It's it's close to push shat. To be Maramas that the Pusik is also talking about divratoira. When you're selling someone divratoira, you're learning with someone, you're teaching someone. There's an Azhura, the Torah is teaching us to be careful. You shouldn't fool him, you shouldn't cheat him. If you're giving over the Torah, don't cheat anyone. Give it over the right way. If you're not going to be giving over the, the Torah entirely with all the clarity and all the insight and all the depth that you have it, what Hashem gave you and, and the Talmud would have been able to be makabal, then you're cheating him. You're not giving him what he should really be getting from you. And the same is the other way around. The Pusik is also something about, uh, saying about the coin and the one who's buying should also be careful not to cheat. The Talmud should be careful not to cheat and fool his Rebbe and say that he understands when he really doesn't. If you want more and, you, and you're not getting it all the way and it's not the way the Malamed thinks that it is, he thinks that you got it already and really you didn't, don't fool him. Tell him clearly, I did not get it and have him teach you again. So of course that's a, a wonderful idea, Bechlal, when it comes to teaching and learning Torah. But what, what, what I wanted to take out of this, aside from the push, the meaning of this word, was that it seems... I mean, there's the Mushal and the Nimshal, right? The, the Mushal that he's, the, the Agadikala is teaching us that, just like when buying and selling, you have to be careful not to cheat, so too in the Torah. When you go back, you see something interesting. He learned the Pusik that's talking about cheating. It's not just fooling someone. It's not just fooling someone, you're saying a lie, you're making believe. You know, th- there's more to it. If you want to give someone something, or you should be giving someone something, and you can really give more, and you're not giving more, that's also a form of cheating. That's not, that's not the push of shot, I don't think. You know, normally, if you're selling someone something and you're either raising the price, or you're giving too little a price, or you make believe it's a better quality than it is, that, that's cheating. But if I could give you more, and I'm not, that's also cheating. Or, if you're getting something from me, and you're making believe that it's fine, it's good, you already got it all, and really you didn't, you're not really happy with what you're getting, you're lying to me, you're cheating me. When people are in a give and take in a relationship, it's important for the giver to give whatever he can give, and not to withhold and not to just try to come by and say, you know what, I was yoytze like that, I don't have to give anymore, it's not, I'm not obligated, I'm not required, I really did my, my shir. That's not, that's not the way you give someone. When you're giving someone, you should give it all the way. And when you're getting something from someone, and someone thinks that they're giving you what you need, and really that's not what you need. Really, you're not getting as much as you wanted or needed, or, or would have appreciated. Say it, why are you making me believe it's okay? Now I know that's a little, um, taking it out of context, but this is something that when it comes to relationships, especially when it comes to shulam bias, and it comes to anything, any close relationship, this is a very, very important point. So, so many people have the mindset of getting by, like, okay, so I gave what I, I gave what I had to give. I already gave my wife some time today. What, what does she want from me? I already gave my husband a listening ear. I heard him, whatever. I could repeat what he said. And things like that, and other areas, which we'll be discussing as well, is, is that the way to give someone? Or you want to give more? Because you could give more, and they could appreciate more. And same thing is when you're getting... So many people, they, they're not really happy and they don't realize that they're not happy maybe, or my point is not to make them realize they're not happy, but they don't want to say they're not happy or they don't know if they're allowed to say they're not happy. You're fooling someone if you make them believe it's okay. If it's not okay, say it's not okay. Very often by just saying it in a healthy and, and clear and, and uh, obviously productive, constructive way, you could, you, could, you could get a lot more. You'll be happier and the person giving you will be happier because when you get what you need, most often the one giving it to you will also be happier. And yes, of course, when it comes to limited Torah as well, this is obviously not only with relationships of husband and wife, but with every relationship, make sure that you're giving what you can give. 
and getting what you think you need. And with Hashem's help, that should do a lot of uh, building and relationships in general. Okay, so I'm going to read a question. I'm, I'm, I'm used to sometimes translating from English to Yiddish, but now I'm going to be translating from Yiddish to English, actually. Okay. First of all, a big thank you for all your wonderful shi'irim and all the advice, which is a big eye-opener in every aspect of life. You answered very well a question this week, or whichever week that was, from a woman who asked how much and when does she have to be available for her husband, even if it, even if it is difficult. I wanted to ask like this. We will work Shemzoiche to a second child, pretty close in age from the first one. It's not a secret that when a woman is pregnant, she's not feeling well, some more and some less. By me, it's, def- it's definitely quite difficult in the beginning between being nauseous and being weak and not being in the mood of anything. The same is true at the end of a pregnancy. Every little thing is difficult, especially being intimate. Is it correct or is it right for a woman to cut down on how much she can be available? Um, does she does Is she obligated at all to initiate even if she's not really in the mood, just to make her husband feel good? And how much is it correct for somebody to cut down, and how much does one need to do even things that are difficult for them? That's the gist of the translation of this letter. And then in English it says, which is how I know that the questioner understands English, thank you for your book, get along with everyone, it's truly something that everyone could read and use in daily life. Okay? So, good question. First of all, whoever didn't see my book, Get Along With Everyone, it's available and I hope that it will be useful for them. So, the, the, the gist of this question is that there are times that it's difficult to be together, husband and wife, and the question is, uh, what do I do? do I, am I obligated? Am I not obligated? How much should one overexert themselves? How much should one make believe it's okay? Etc. So, let me try to address this in, in as, as sensitive as possible. Um, first of all, let me just start with that. This is definitely a sensitive topic. It's sensitive for everyone, sensitive for the questioner, and sensitive for somebody trying to give a clear answer, which means I understand why somebody would um, hide behind an anonymous email, let's say, and throw in a question like that, and wait to get an anonymous response in the shear, because it's much more comfortable than, than approaching someone and talking one-on-one about something this sensitive. All right, I get that. On the other hand, you'll probably get better and more pointed or more specific or more applicable guidance if you talk to someone one-on-one about this. So I'm just I'm just mentioning. On the one hand, I understand that it's not easy sometimes to address this responsibly individually, but sometimes it's probably better. On the other hand, for me as well, this is a sensitive topic to address. Aside from the fact that there's a public platform, and there's only so much that I would address publicly without being careful about what I'm saying. But it it is a little trick question. It's a little trick question because um, chances are that if I go to either extreme of an answer, which I anyway don't usually do, but there will be people that won't be happy with the answer. I'm just throwing it out there as well. It's a trick question. There are many people who could who could um, relate to the questioner, and there are many people who could relate to the other side of the equation. And that's why it, it, it definitely also gets a little complicated, aside from the topic in general um, being a little tricky and sensitive. But another thing that I do want to mention, and this is something I mention often, and sometimes I try to figure out between the lines, who's asking the question? Is it you, Mrs. Questioner, asking the question, and you want to know what you should do? Is it a couple asking the question they want to know what they should do? Is it a husband who wants to know what the wife is obligated to do? It makes a big difference. Not because the answer is so different. In other words, 
I can answer all three and then give a lot of clarity. My point is that sometimes it's important just to know, you know, who's asking, who wants to know what it is that they could do, who who's ready to to take the advice and realize that you know what, maybe I'm not doing things the right way. So it's very just an important thing to know. So when somebody hears this, they should know it. This is the way you address somebody who's asking this question. You might get a different answer if somebody else would be asking it, and, and this is not something that you want to necessarily use against someone. You know, If you would ask the question, you would have heard that answer, so that means that you should be doing things this way. That's not how it works, especially when it comes to sensitive um, topics. Okay, I, I also want to mention one more point before I go on, and that is that there is definitely a halachic aspect to the question, which means there's a lot of different ways to, to uh, you know, ask questions. Um, and there's different components of a question. In this case, the, and some questions don't necessarily always have an halachic aspect of a question. It's more, uh, you know, a relationship question or advice or personal. But in this case, there's definitely a halachic aspect of the question. And I'm not a halachic authority. You know, so if you want to get something a little more clear halachically, you might try to, you might want to discuss this with a competent rav. I, I will throw in that asking a rav, again, questions that are so sensitive by nature, very often, very often, and I spoke about this when we spoke about birth control and other things, very much of the answer will be influenced by the way the question is asked. Right? It, it's, it's not a clear question. It's not a fork falling into a... It's not a milk of a fork and a flesh of a pot. It's not a very technical question. This is, this is you know, it's emotional, it's physical, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a lot of other things as well. And very much of it has to do with how you can ask the question. So it's very important to know that. Somebody repeated to me something very interesting this week. Um, just a cute anecdote, but it definitely brings out a point. Um, there was somebody involved in the Shidduch and they had some mental health issues and history that they wanted to know if they, if they had to share. So somebody went to Rav Shach and he asked him, am I obligated to share this information? And Rav Shach took the different uh, you know, parts, of the, uh, parts of the question into account based on the history, based on what the doctor said, based on the psychiatrist or whatever, and the answer was no, you don't have to share. Anyway, sure enough, this young man got married without sharing that information and a few months later, obviously, it's not a you know these things don't stay secret forever and it became known and you know in the spot of the this couple didn't get along and they and they divorced so somebody went back to the Rashiva and he said you know or, or I think this young young man was quoting Rav Shach told me I don't have to say so somebody was explaining you didn't ask the right question the question was if you're obligated to say the answer the answer is no you're not obligated if your question would have been is it worthwhile to say or is it or is it good for me not to say you may have gotten a very different answer. And that drives home a, a very good point about how sometimes a question could be something like, am I obligated? And the answer might be, you're not obligated. Sometimes the question is, should I? And the answer might be, you should. Sometimes yes, sometimes not. I'm just explaining how there's different ways to ask a question even when you're addressing a halakhic authority and you do want to know like what, what really does the halakha say. The halakha will also maybe say different things depending on how the question is being asked. So with that said, let me, let, let's back up first and give a little, again, I'm just using the opportunity, um, to address a broader public and give some general ideas, some general understanding about, about what this really means. You know, the Irish to uh, set up marriage and set up couples and set up married life in a way that intimacy is, is a big part of it. Now, when I say a big part of it, it's not so big. Um, there's so much more in life, there's so much more of the day and night, there's so much more of the week, right? It's really a small part, but in some sense, this is the glue of marriage for a few reasons. Is the glue of marriage because it's a very sensitive glue that Hashem put there to, to connect people. It's also a glue of marriage in some sense because it's, it's essentially the only part of a relationship that's exclusive for marriage. Almost anything and everything that you'll ever have to do with your spouse, 
whether it's traveling, it's talking, it's sharing finances, it's it's uh, interacting, it's 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 doing, it's, it's being involved in things together. At the end of the day, you could do almost all of them with someone else. Almost all of them you could do with someone else. There are people that unfortunately raise the kids with other people. They have, they have either a goito or a babysitter or, or whatever it is. You know, the, the, there's a lot of different ways to do things, and most of them could be done. I'm not saying they should be done. Most of them could be done with someone else. You could have financial arrangements with other people. You could be sharing a budget. You could be sharing a vacation. You could be sharing a home. There are different things you could do with other people. There's one thing that's exclusive. It's very important to realize that, no, this is, where, this is the glue. This is where it is. And if you ignore this or not understand this or not deal with it the right way and, and assume that, well, we could be connected in so many other ways and everything else should be fine. And this one thing, okay, it's, it's, it's uh, very wrong. It's very wrong, very wrong. And, 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 it, and it's actually an obligation as well. Interestingly, the way Hashem set it up, there aren't that many things in a marriage that are obligatory. Not many. You're not obligated to eat at home supper. You don't have to. Um, there are there are halachic aspects of, of where you eat and where your wife eats. You're allowed to have your wife eat somewhere else. But the point is, you could eat in a restaurant, you could eat at home. It's not an obligation. There are obligations. There are obligations, but not that many. One of them is, is to be available and be intimate. It's an obligation of husband and wife to each other. And it's independent of the other obligations, how they're being dealt with. Again, I don't, I don't want to get nitty-gritty and definitely not anything halachic. I'm just mentioning that you see how this is definitely set up in a way that this is of extreme importance and not something to take lightly. In another um, sense, for those who are used to hearing me and maybe saw it in my book as well, I talk very often about, the, about boundaries. Boundaries is one of the most important parts of a relationship. In every relationship, every relationship, there's the mine, the yours and the ours. Even in marriage, not everything is shared. It's, it's wrong, it's a mistake, right? We're two independent people, we're two individuals. We're interdependent, we need each other and we want to help each other and appreciate each other, but we're also two individuals, especially when it's a relationship with somebody further than that. There's always the things that will remain mine, yours, and ours. What's mine belongs to me. What's yours belongs to you. We shouldn't be controlling each other. And then there's the hours that, that we need to agree on and work together with and understand that neither of us should be controlling it and both of us should be taking each other seriously. And that's a very um, complicated part of a relationship for many people. It's easier somewhat for people to understand that, okay, what's mine is mine. You can't talk, you can't control what's mine. You could ask me nicely, I should do things your way, but it's mine, okay? What's yours is yours. Which means we could technically be living life without almost ever agreeing on anything and, and, and being roommates. Essentially, we could do that. Even when it comes to children or a home or a schedule, there's a lot of times ways to work it out that, okay, I'll do mine, you'll do yours. It would be nice if we could agree on how we want to raise the children. And if we can't, I'll raise them my way, you'll raise them your way. Now, of course, that's a recipe for disaster. My point is just that at the end of the day, we don't have to agree on something. We could, we could, we could divide the responsibilities. We could separate our approaches. We could uh, you know, communicate differently. There are so many things that we could do separately. One of the only things that you can't do separately is, is, is intimacy. This is when you, you have to be on the same page and work together. You don't have to eat together. You don't have to. Um, you could eat separately, different hours, different menus, different uh, whatever you want. You can do a lot of different things. You could separate the finances. You can do it, but there's one place where you can't do things separately. Now, what does that mean? So, very many people pull pull this idea to them and say, "Oh, so it means that if I'm not ready, then you can't make me because it's ours." Yeah, that's true, but it goes both ways. It's not only about resisting. It's not only about not being controlled, which is true. Nobody should be controlling the other one. That, that actually says in halacha as well. A woman shouldn't be demanding, and a husband shouldn't be doing anything by force. It clearly says so. But it does mean that, that we should be getting onto the same page somehow, 
And this is something that some people struggle with. So this is, it's, it's all just uh, some background information to understanding the sensitivity and the importance of, of this topic. Now, I, I often tell people who come talk to me about different misunderstandings when it comes to this, like, why don't you have a schedule? Why don't you have a schedule, some consistent schedule? Now, most people, when they get married, they're taught with a certain, uh, a certain tamimus, right, a certain innocence, Okay, so it's, it's this night and that night and this many times and that many times. And it works in the beginning and then we grow out of that because we're big and we're smart and, and you know, we don't have to do things the way we're told, right? And it's so, it's so interesting to see how many people struggle with so many different details and so many different uh, circumstances and situations and, and, and complications when it comes to this. And, and they don't realize that maybe just reverting back to the old, innocent way of doing things the way you were taught might be the answer. I, I, sometimes it bothers me why people don't realize that maybe that was better then, like maybe when you did it the way you were told to, it worked better. Yeah, but we didn't like it, it didn't work, we didn't. I, I know, but it's not working now either, right? Maybe that would have helped some, somewhat. One of my famous lines that I tell people is, imagine if it wasn't clear how many times or approximately when we eat meals. Let, let's make believe there was no such thing as breakfast, lunch, or supper. You could eat once a day, you could eat seven times a day, you could eat breakfast by night, you could eat milk by night and flesh in the morning. There's, there's no rhyme or reason for how or when people eat meals. You could imagine what would go on. You could imagine how many shown bias problems there were. There, there would be. Imagine if a Shabbos Sudeh, you could have six meals Shabbos, you could have no meals Shabbos, you could have ice cream for the meal, you could eat a meal before davening, after davening. Imagine if there was no rhyme or reason to how to set that up. You could imagine how people would be fighting over this. I want to do it this way, she doesn't want to do it that way, I don't have an appetite, she does, she wants this, I, I can't, just imagine what things would look like. And that's about eating, where essentially you could eat two separate times, two separate meals, right? Why even fighting? You eat ice cream uh, before davening, let her eat um, steak after davening, chant, you'll have some of malka, like you could just set it up how you want, and still people would be going crazy. Now when it comes to this, which you can do on your own, and there's no schedule, especially when something's so sensitive that people get so moody and so challenged and take so personal. I mean, if it's not set up for how are we going to do this, let's, let's agree on something consistent, even if I'm not always in the mood, you're not always in the mood, it doesn't make sense to me, it doesn't make sense to me, but it's probably the only way that we could really be on some kind of something, some kind of track that could work for two people. You have to realize you're talking about two different people, especially, like I said, when it comes to something sensitive, they each have their feelings and their doubts and their sensory issues and their physical and their mental and their emotional and the and the whatnot, and you're trying to bring them together consistently without any kind of rhyme or reason of how or when we agree to do something. Like, is that even making sense? Anyway, this is just some, I hope I'm not going on a, on a rant, but, but for whatever reason, this is definitely a very complicated experience for some. For some people, everything's wonderful, we get along. For some people, working out this, this part of marriage is a very complicated experience, unfortunately. Whether it's the vulnerability involved, whether it's knowing how to give and take, whether it's knowing how to understand the other person, whether it's understanding, understanding yourself. It's very complicated for some people, and the only way to do it is to really have something set up, something consistent that we both try to work together with, understanding that it doesn't belong only to me, and the only way to make it work, for my benefit and for our benefit of the relationship, is that we understand something you know, that, that, that's set up. Now, with all that said, let me go to the other side, the flip side. And that is the idea of exceptions. Nothing is set in stone. Nothing. And I don't just mean because I don't want to get too, uh, too conservative or too uh, rigid. Nothing is set in stone. Nothing in the Torah is set in stone. Almost. Almost. Very few things are Yehudik Valyavar and can never happen. And even those few things that are Yehudik Valyavar also have their exceptions of 
when and how and if you want and if you didn't and, and if somebody didn't do it. But, but that's very, very limited how many things are like Yehudah Gvalyava this can never happen no matter what. Um, but other than that other than that does everyone have to fast in Kippur? Not everyone. Right? Well you have to be a certain age you have to be a certain uh, you have to be healthy you have to be able to and if you don't fast how much do you not fast? Well it starts with again with exceptions how much yes how much not you can't just eat everything because you have an exception you can eat nothing because you have Everything, everything, everything is like that. Anyone that's trying to put things set in stone when you're talking about human beings who are so dependent on so many different um, um, components and so many different uh, things going on, it never works. So anyone that's going toward anything, especially when it comes to a relationship, we have two people involved, and there's no such thing as an exception, that that's also obviously a mistake that can't last too long. So this is, this is you know, there's always room for exceptions in every area. And even exceptions have to have exceptions. Even except, I know people don't know how to have an exception to an exception, right? We do things this way unless it's raining. Okay, so that's an exception. But it's raining now. I don't see the rain. I think it's raining. My, my, my cousin said it's going to rain. The, 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 the exception, there's no exceptions to this exception. If it's even just a drop drizzling and it looks like it's about to stop, but we, we already decided that this exception is an exception to the rule and we don't go on a walk when it rains, so we're not going today a whole day. You have, exceptions also need exceptions. And that's a certain amount of flexibility that's so important for people to understand how and when to apply an exception correctly. And in general, just understanding why there's a need for exceptions is because there's a certain amount of consideration, especially when it comes to a relationship, like I keep on saying, we have to be considerate of someone else, considerate of yourself. Anyone who, does, anyone who doesn't know how to be considerate of both people involved in the relationship will always mess up. If you're only t- taking yourself seriously and you're disregarding someone else, so you can't make exceptions for the other person, that's a big problem. If you're only taking yourself seriously and, and not taking someone else, did I just say that? The other way around? If you're only taking someone else seriously and, not, and being totally inconsiderate of yourself, that, that's also no good. That's also no good. You, you, you're going you're gonna to end up being very resentful one day. It probably won't last long term. And it's not the way it should be. It's not the way it should be. You have to, we have to take both seriously. And just throwing in the idea that we started off with, you know, but Chesimkiri Memker, Nasoni Someone giving has to know how to give all the way as much as they could. Somebody taking has to know how to take as much as they could all the way. And it has to work together. It's not that we're telling a seller to always think just about himself or always think just about the other person. You're both here to take each other seriously. So when you're considering a situation to know if it is something that, that deems uh, worthy of an exception or not, it's only with the understanding that whatever we do in this relationship is me and you trying to think of ourselves and each other. When I hear people repeat this line of, you only think about yourself. You only think about yourself. That's so many people throw it at each other. I'm not going to go into how most often it's being said by the wrong person to the wrong person. That's a separate discussion. But I, I, sometimes when people tell me that, you only think about yourself, the first thing that comes to my mind is, I don't only think about myself, but I'll admit that I also think about myself. You can't expect someone to only think about you. So that's it's just you know very, very important to uh, understand that preface for how to understand what is and what isn't um, called for, for exception. Now, I do believe that with a question like this, right? I'm going through a difficulty, whether it's pregnancy or whatever, or whatever issue it is, mental, emotional, physical, whatever it is that somebody's dealing with. And they want to make an exception to whatever it is. To whatever it is. It doesn't have to be something so sensitive. You have a woman who can't cook supper because she's nauseous. So she's making an exception. I know that I really should be giving supper at home, but now I'm nauseous. Or a, a husband who usually does pay the bills, and now he can't for whatever reason. He's too stressed out. So... The question is, do we make an exception? Do we not make an exception? 
but but even in, in a case, even in a even in a topic like this, which is a, a sensitive topic, an important topic, there's also exceptions, and most often, exceptions could definitely be dealt with and taken well. Most husbands and most wives will be understanding at some point that now is time for an exception. However, I think before deciding that it's time for an exception and before deciding how to communicate about an exception and before wondering why it is or isn't being taken well, I'll just mention four things. There's probably more, but four things just to think about. Some food for thought. Number one, what is your general attitude? What's your general attitude aside from the exception? In other words, and, and you know what, let, let me talk about supper. It's just, it's just easier to communicate um, about supper. But really, it's only the mushal. I'm really talking about being intimate. Let's talk about supper. If a woman makes supper every night, and every night she does it very grudgingly, and she's always complaining to her husband about how I had to make supper. I can't stand this. I mean, I'd be, I'd be good with rice cakes. I, I don't need supper. But I'll, I did it for you and, and whatever. Now you can't ask me to do anything because I just made supper. And supper and supper... And supper is going to be ready at 6 o'clock. No, it's not going to be ready at 6. It's going to be ready at 8. It's going to be ready at 9. I can't. What do you want from me? I'm only one person. If the attitude of supper, when it does come, is an attitude that's not so pleasant, to call the least. It's an attitude that's not so forthcoming and so willing and so uh, connecting and, and, and all the other words you want to use for that, then you could imagine that when somebody gives an excuse why they can't make supper and say, you know, I, I need an exception, right? Today was a, a PTA or today I wasn't feeling well. Or, today I had a headache or today I had a hangover. So what do you want from me? Why are you upset that I didn't make supper? I think that if you'd be making supper um, differently till now, then the exception to the rule would be taken just fine. How's that? If supper till now was a stress and a hassle, and now you even found an excuse to not make at all supper, very many people might challenge you on that excuse and exception. That's one. Let me go to the next thing. Point number two. How are you communicating this thing about supper? Think about it. If you're telling your husband at 6.30 when he's on his way home and starving, because he didn't eat a whole day for whatever reason, um, you know, somebody told me recently he works at an construction site, so he can't even eat a whole day because there's no bathrooms. Right? You have people who are too busy to eat the whole day, for whatever it is. Your husband's coming home, very, very hungry, and, and on the way home, when his mom is like a block away, he's calling you that he's a block away, he wants to know if the driveway is, open, is empty or not, he could pull in. Go, go to the grocery, Do me, you're still in the car, go to the grocery and buy supper. What is? I can't make supper, I'm not making supper, I, it's, not, it's not working, I can't... I'm not, if, you, if, you, if you're communicating about this exception at the wrong time, in the wrong way, you're imposing it on someone, you're not even giving them a chance, you're not being nice about it and saying, you know, darling dear, it's three o'clock in the afternoon, it doesn't look like I'm going to get to it, I really feel bad. If you, if you insist, I'll make something. If not, I could order. If you could get it on the way home, I'll be most appreciative. If you communicate to someone at the right time, the right way, the right tone, without imposing or throwing at them and, and complaining and being a victim, I, I, I think most times people will accept your message. No, I won't say something. They don't like it. Okay, and there's always there's always exceptions to the exceptions. But most often, when you when you when you know how to communicate something, instead of instead of being resentful with your communication, I can't do this. I don't know what you even want. You should you should have told me I shouldn't make supper. Why do I have to tell you I'm not making? Why why are you talking like that? Why can't you talk nicely and suggest and be appreciative that someone heard you? That's number two. Um, number three, it's very important to understand what's your exception based on. Even just in your letter, if I may mention. Again, I don't mean to nitpick, I'm just saying this for the public to understand. You start off with something about um, being nauseous, and then being weak, and then not being in the mood. It's very important to differentiate what, you know, what, what, it's a major differences. I'm not in the mood of making supper. Now I understand you're irritable, and you're pregnant, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm trivializing what that means when someone's irritable and, and uncomfortable. But there's, there's different things. 
There's one thing about not feeling well. There's one thing about being nauseous. There's one thing about not being in the mood. Okay, so just remember that how you communicate something and based on what you're basing your exception on might have to do with how much the other person understands it. Now, I'm not, my point is not that you should build yourself a good case so it shouldn't be able to be challenged. But sometimes you have to understand on your own, is this really reason for an exception or not? Is this reason for someone else to now um, you know, exempt you and realize that they shouldn't be demanding anything? Or someone might feel like, you know, I'm also not feeling well. We both traveled last night to a chasana. Um, we both traveled overnight from Canada uh, to the United States. I went to work today. You couldn't make supper. You know, it's just some, sometimes to you it seems so simple, but you have to understand that someone else might not always uh, buy into that so well. And, and, and it definitely depends what you're basing your exception on. Another point, which I think is also very important, um, not everyone likes to hear this argument, but when a woman says something like, again, with a supper, I don't mean supper, but with a supper, we traveled all night last night, I can't make supper today. Aha. Uh-huh. You were able to go to work if you do. You were able to talk to your friends all day. You were able to listen to your favorite radio show. You were able to do a lot of other things. You did even go for, uh, on some errands for your mother, but supper for me you couldn't do. Now that's about priorities. When somebody's really stuck in bed, or when somebody's really incapable, or when somebody, for whatever reason, you know, it doesn't have to be any catastrophe, when somebody can't do something, most often it's understood, but very often it's challenged by, oh, only this you can't do. How did that happen? Why did I fall to the bottom of the list? Now again, if you can't, you can't. And most often people should be considerate of other people's not being able to. And sometimes supper is more difficult than other things. I'm not, I'm not here to, you know, to decide what yes and what not. I'm just here to help you understand how and when an exception will be understood, validated, accepted, and dealt with in a healthy way. And sometimes it won't be because you're, you're you know, violating one of these four points or some other ones. So that's, that's, very, uh, that's very important to understand. So I do think that if your general attitude is a healthy one, in general, when it comes to supper or intimacy, I do believe that if you're communicating it in the right time and in a nice way, I do believe that if you're, if you have a valid reason for an exception, and not just I'm not in the mood, which might make your husband think, well, I'm not in the mood of paying the bills either, and if you show someone that it's not because it's the bottom of the list that it's falling off the list, right? I, I do believe that communicating it the right way will definitely um, help everyone with the proper understanding and the proper communication. I believe this can be resolved. So, going back to what I started with, I'm not here to answer the question, call the shots and say who's right and who's wrong. I'm, I'm not a rule. I'm, I don't even know who's asking the question. I'm here to help you understand how and when this could be resolved on your own. You should be able to resolve this on your own with the right understanding and communication and background understanding of, of dealing with this whole thing um, the right way. Now, like I started off with, this is not something either one should impose on the other one. Not something you're allowed to impose on the other one. Neither way. Not a husband should be forcing a wife. Not a wife should be resisting a husband. There are there are times that that you know it's 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 okay and understandable for for each one to say listen I can't do without this so this is what has to happen. There are times that unfortunately if it's not taken well or de- dealt with the right way, it could cause a rift in the relationship. There are times that even if you have a valid excuse, so for whatever reason somebody says I can't, okay you can't you don't have to, but that doesn't obligate someone else how to deal with it. Again, I'm being a little vague now, but even with the halacha, even with shachanurach. Um, does understand that, okay, so for whatever reason, you're, you're not obligated anymore. That doesn't obligate someone else to tolerate that. I hope my point is coming across clear. You don't have to make supper. Don't make supper. I don't have to come home. I don't have to stay married to you. But I can't make supper. I might not have to stay married to someone who can't make supper. Now again, I'm, I'm getting a little extreme and it's not what I, wanted to, uh, what I wanted to mention. I just had to throw it in. You know, the fact that you could do something doesn't obligate the other person to deal with it the same way that you're do- dealing with it. 
But, but let's get a little gentler. I do believe that with the right understanding, and the right attitude, and the right approach, this could be worked out with understanding. And if it's worked out, it could be appreciated. When somebody does understand you, somebody is tolerant and understanding and accepting of an exception, it's reason to be thankful, not reason to say, well, of course, okay, you could have that attitude, but it usually doesn't help someone next time around. And I do believe that the way that things are dealt with in the general sense, when there aren't exceptions, has a lot to do with how exceptions will be taken, how they'll be understood, how they'll be accepted, and how they won't cause a problem in a relationship. I mean, I was still for the right understanding. We will all have supper. We will all be glued together in a healthy way and live together by Hava Achbashlum Rayas.